Chapter Thirty of Miss Mackenzie by Antony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsten Weber. Chapter Thirty. Conclusion. Things had not been going well with Mr. Maguire when, as a last chance, he attempted to force an entrance into Mrs. Mackenzie's drawing room. Things indeed had been going very badly with him. Mr. Stumfold at Littlebath had had an interview with the editor of the Christian Examiner, and had made that provincial Jupiter understand that he must drop the story of the lion and the lamb. There had been more than enough of it, Mr. Stumfold thought, and, if it were continued, Mr. Stumfold would, would make Littlebath too hot to hold the Christian Examiner. That was the full meaning of Mr. Stumfold's threat, and, as the editor knew Mr. Stumfold's power, the editor wisely turned a cold shoulder upon Mr. Maguire. When Mr. Maguire came to the editor with his letter for publication, the editor declared that he should be happy to insert it as an advertisement. Then there had been a little scene between Mr. Maguire and the editor, and Mr. Maguire had left the editorial office shaking the dust from off his feet. But he was a persistent man, and having ascertained that Miss Colzer was possessed of some small share in her brother's business in the city, he thought it expedient to betake himself again to London. He did so, as we have seen, and with some very faint hope of obtaining collateral advantage for himself, and some stronger hope that he might still be able to do an injury to Sir John Ball, he went to the Mackenzie's house in Cavendish Square. There his success was not great, and from that time forward the wasp had no further power of inflicting stings upon the lion whom he had persecuted. But some further annoyance he did give to Griselda. He managed to induce Mrs. Tom Mackenzie to take him in as a lodger in Gower Street, and Margaret very nearly ran into his way in her anxiety to befriend her sister-in-law. Luckily, she heard from Mr. Rubb that he was there on the very day on which he had intended to visit Gower Street. Poor Mrs. Mackenzie got the worst of it, for, of course, Mr. Maguire did not pay for his lodgings. But he did marry Miss Colza, and in some way got himself instituted at a chapel at Islington. There we will leave him, not trusting much in his connubial bliss, but faintly hoping that his teaching may be favorable to the faith and morals of his new flock. Of Mr. Samuel Rubb, Jr., we must say a few words. His first acquaintance with our heroine was not made under circumstances favorable to him. In that matter of the loan, he departed very widely from the precept that honesty is the best policy. And when I feel that our Margaret was at one time really in danger of becoming Mrs. Rubb, that in her ignorance of the world, in the dark gropings of her social philosophy, amidst the difficulties of her solitude, she had not known whether she could do better with herself and her future years than give herself and them and her money to Mr. Samuel Rubb, I tremble as I look back upon her danger. 
It has been said of women that they have an insane desire for matrimony. I believe that the desire, even if it be as general as is here described, is not insanity. But when I see such a woman as Margaret Mackenzie in danger from such a man as Samuel Rubb, Jr., I am driven to fear that there may sometimes be a maniacal tendency. But Samuel Rubb was by no means a bad man. He first hankered after the woman's money, but afterwards he had loved the woman, and my female reader, if she agrees with me, will feel that the virtue covers a multitude of sins. And he was true to the promise that he made about the loan. He did pay the interest of the money regularly to Mrs. Mackenzie in Gower Street, and after a while was known in that house as the recognized lover of Mary Jane, the eldest daughter. In this way it came to pass that he occasionally saw the lady to whose hand he had aspired, for Margaret, when she was assured that Mr. Maguire and his bride were never likely to be seen in that locality, did not desert her nephews and nieces in Gower Street. But we must go back to Sir John Ball. As soon as the coast was clear, in Cavendish Square, he took his leave of Margaret. Mrs. Mackenzie had left the room, desiring to speak a word to him alone as he came down. "'I shall tell my mother to-night,' he said to Margaret. "'You know that all this is not exactly as she wishes it.' "'John,' she said, "'if it is as you wish it, I have no right to think of anything beyond that.' "'It is as I wish it,' said he. "'Then tell my aunt, with my love, that I shall hope that she will receive me as her daughter.' Then they parted, and Margaret was left alone to congratulate herself over her success. "'Sir John,' said Mrs. Mackenzie, calling him into the drawing-room, "'you must hear my congratulations. You must indeed.' "'Thank you,' said he, looking foolish. "'You are very good.' "'And so is she. She is what you may really call good. She is as good as gold.' I know a woman when I see her. I know that for one like her there are fifty not fit to hold a candle to her. She has nothing mean or little about her. Nothing. They may call her a lamb, but she can be a lioness too, when there is an occasion. I know that she is steadfast. That she is, and honest, and warm-hearted. And, oh, Sir John, I am so happy that it is all to be made right and nice and comfortable. It would have been very sad if she hadn't gone with the money, would it not? I should not have taken the money, not all of it. And she would not have taken any. She would not have taken a penny of it. Though we need not mind that now, need we? But there is one thing I want to say to you. You must not think I am interfering. I shan't think that, after all that you have done. I want her to be married from here. It would be quite proper, wouldn't it? Mr. Mackenzie is a little particular about the grouse, because there is to be a large party at Incharrow, but up to the 10th of August you and she should fix any day you like. Sir John showed by his countenance that he was somewhat taken aback. The 10th of August, and here they were, far advanced into June. 
When he had left his home that morning he had not fully made up his mind whether he meant to marry his cousin or not, and now, within a few hours, he was being confined to weeks and days. Mrs. Mackenzie saw what was passing in his mind, but she was not a woman to be driven easily from her purpose. "'You see,' she said, "'there is so much to think of. What is Margaret to do if we leave her in London when we go down?' and it would really be better for her to be married from her cousin's house. It would, indeed. Lady Ball would like it better, I'm sure she would, than if she were to be living alone in town, in lodgings. There is always a way of doing things, isn't there? And Walter's sisters, her own cousins, could be her bridesmaids, you know. Sir John said that he would think about it. I haven't spoken to her, of course, said Mrs. Mackenzie. "'But I shall now.' Sir John, as he went eastwards into the city, did think about it, and before he had reached his own house that evening he had brought himself to regard Mrs. Mackenzie's scheme in a favourable light. He was not blind to the advantage of taking his wife from a house in Cavendish Square instead of from lodgings in Arundel Street. He was aware that his mother would not be blind to that advantage either. He did not hope to be able to reconcile her to his marriage at once, and perhaps he entertained some faint idea that for the first six months of his new married life the Cedars would be quite as pleasant without his mother as with her. But a final reconciliation would be more easy if he and his wife had the Mackenzies of Inchero to back them than it could be without such influence. And as for the London gossip of the thing, the finale to the romance of the lion and the lamb, it would be sure to come sooner or later. Let them have their odious joke, and have done with it. Mother, he said as soon as he could find himself alone with Lady Ball that day, not waiting for the midnight conference, "'Mother, I may as well tell you at once. "'I have proposed to Margaret Mackenzie again to-day. "'Oh, very well. "'And she has accepted me.' "'Accepted you? Of course she has. "'Jumped at the chance, no doubt. "'What else should a pauper do? "'Mother, that is ungenerous. "'She did not accept you when she had got anything. "'If I can reconcile myself to that, "'surely you can do so.' The matter is settled now, and I think I have done the best in my power for myself and my children. And as for your poor mother, she may go and die anywhere. Mother, that is unfair. As long as I have a house over my head, you shall share it, if you please to do so. If it suits you to go elsewhere, I will be with you as often as may be possible. I hope, however, you will not leave us. That I shall certainly do. "'Then I hope you will not go far from me.' "'And when is it to be?' said his mother, after a pause. "'I cannot name any day, but some time before the 10th of August.' "'Before the 10th of August? Why, that is at once. Oh, John, and your father, not dead a year. Margaret has a home now with her cousins in Cavendish Square, but she cannot stay there after they go to Scotland.' It will be for her welfare that she should be married from their house. And as for my father's death, 
I know that you do not suspect me of disrespect to his memory. And in this way it was settled at the Cedars, and his mother's question about the time drove him to the resolution which he himself had not reached. When next he was in Cavendish Square, he asked Margaret whether she could be ready so soon, and she replied that she would be ready on any day that he told her to be ready. Thus it was settled, and with a moderate amount of nuptial festivity the marriage feast was prepared in Mrs. Mackenzie's house. Margaret was surprised to find how many dear friends she had who were interested in her welfare. Miss Baker wrote to her most affectionately, and Miss Todd was warm in her congratulations. But the attention which perhaps surprised her most was a warm letter of sisterly affection from Mrs. Stumfold, in which that lady rejoiced with an exceeding joy in that the machinations of a certain wolf in sheep's clothing had been unsuccessful. "'My anxiety that you should not be sacrificed I once before evinced to you,' said Mrs. Stumfold. "'And within the last two months Mr. Stumfold has been at work to put an end to the scurrilous writings which that wolf in sheep's clothing has been putting into the newspapers.' Then Mrs. Stumfold very particularly desired to be remembered to Sir John Ball, and expressed a hope that, at some future time, she might have the honour of being made acquainted with the worthy baronet. They were married in the first week in August, and our modern Griselda went through the ceremony with much grace. That there was much grace about Sir John Ball, I cannot say. But gentlemen, when they get married at fifty, are not expected to be graceful. There, my lady Ball, said Mrs. Mackenzie, whispering into her cousin's ear before they left the church. Now my prophecy has come true, and when we meet in London next spring you will reward me for all I have done for you by walking out of a room before me. But all these honours, and what was better all the happiness that came in her way, Lady Ball accepted thankfully, quietly, and with an enduring satisfaction as it became such a woman to do. End of chapter 30 End of Miss Mackenzie by Antony Trollope Recording by Kirsten Weber.